frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. So you want to be a reporter? Here's some advice about this racket. Don't we ever change your mind? It may not be the oldest profession, but it's the best. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio, the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Brandon. And I'm Lewis. And we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Lewis and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. Today, I picked the film from 1952, Deadline USA, starring Humphrey Bogart, Ethel Barrymore, and Kim Hunter, written and directed by Richard Brooks. Uh, so... This movie was suggested by a mutual acquaintance of Lewis and I, um, and I have put it off for a while, just haven't got around to it, and then finally I was like, let's just watch it, and um, then we can put our thoughts on the episode. Um, but unfortunately, on the first viewing, I was not that impressed. Some of you out there might be shocked because this movie is beloved by a lot of people, I found out. Um, but then I watched the commentary, and then I rewatched the movie, and have a little more appreciation for it. Um, to me, the essence of the film is about giving it everything you've got, even when you know it's your last dance. Um, but we're going to get more into this film later in the episode. Um, be sure to stay tuned till the end of the episode where you will find out what we're watching next week. I don't even know yet. Lewis is going to reveal it. <laughs> do I know yet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, do you? <laughs> um, first, we want to say thank you to everybody who's been listening. Um, we really appreciate everyone being here, being a part of this congregation of film lovers. Um, if you would, please go and tell your friends about it let people know so that we can keep growing our audience. Um, let us know what films you want us to watch. Follow us on everything at Film Church Radio. Um, and we also post extra content on our YouTube channel, so check that out. You'll see some extra reviews on there. Um, before we get into the movie, which is Deadline USA, uh, we're going to talk about movies other than Deadline USA that we've been watching this week. And Lewis has a huge list. <laughs> I was like, holy yeah. moly. You've watched so many movies since we last recorded. So yeah. tell us about them. Yeah, I mean, it's been... I mean, I've watched a lot. So I kind of... I don't know, I get into this funk where I'm like, I haven't watched enough movies. So I just seem to end up watching three or four a day. Um, and there was a day that I'll get onto where I'll watch six. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, I'm I'm not going to talk about everything I've watched in the last week because, yeah. like you said, there's a lot. Um, but I've picked out a few. So I rewatched High Fidelity from mm -hmm. 2000, um, one of my all time favorite films. Um, it just it just speaks to me. It's about a like a thirty something media collector. He's got lots of records and kind of sets his life to soundtracks and top fives and yeah I, I don't know it's just it just speaks to me on a on a 
certain level. Um, yeah. I know we Rob talked Gordon. about it a little bit when we yeah. did our um, Bernie episode because we were talking about Jack Black, and I put it on yeah. my list, but I still haven't watched it. It's streaming right now, I think, somewhere. So yeah, I it's on HBO Max. Okay. That's where I watched it. Um, Jack Black is phenomenal in it. Yeah. Um, it's just, I think it's just hitting everyone at their peak, and it's got this really nice kind of laid back to it, like laid backness to it. I don't know if that, that's not a word, but um it just flows really well and the music's really good and it just worked like it's one of my comfort films i feel like i can put it on at any point i don't necessarily have to watch it but i just like every bit that i kind of come back to i really really enjoy um so yeah if you haven't seen it see it i love high fidelity i might watch it um good it's a good choice and then i watched um harakiri which is um a japanese film that's been on my list for a while. Um, it's on the letterbox, like top 250. Um, directed by Masaki Kobayashi. Um, and basically it's it's about a samurai that kind of comes to, well, not really a samurai, I guess he ex-samurai, comes to like this house and, is at, and asks them basically to um, commit harakiri on their land. It's, I guess it's some kind of, um, like honor or something like that. There's there's something behind it. I can't quite remember exactly. Yeah, why they need to do it on you know somebody else's ground. Um, but as the story develops, there's more to it than there seems. Um, and there's a point towards the end that I text our friend Zach, um, who has seen the film already, and I was like, I was open mouthed. Like it was, I could not believe that that happened. I don't know. It's yeah. just such a great, um lesson in storytelling and kind of drip feeding because it kind of flashes back and forward and back and forward um and it was great i mean it it deserves to be as widely touted as it is yeah um and i gave it five stars which um says a lot i think it was phenomenal um and then i watched another five star film um a man escaped um which have you ever seen a man escaped i have not f- no a French film from the 50s directed by um, Brisson. And um, it's just, it's a great kind of, my words aren't coming today. It's a great like experiment in minimalism. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called A Man Escaped and basically that is the plot. A man is trying to escape from prison. Yeah. Um, But it's just, it's so... I mean, there's not, there's nothing to it. There's no set, really set decoration. It's just kind of him talking over what he's doing to escape from prison. Yeah. Um, which sounds really kind of mundane, but I don't know how they did. It. It's just, it's so gripping. Yeah. Um, it's in, it's pretty incredible. Sweet. Um, and I, I had seen that at university when I was there, and I remember thinking a lot of it then. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't watched it since. So I'm glad I got a chance to revisit. Um, nice. And then um, the I've got the fil- like these film noir box sets that Indicator put out from Columbia Pictures from like the 50s. Yeah. Um, and they came out pretty quickly, and I've been like meaning to kind of sit down and try and go through them all. I went through the first one. There's about six or seven films in each. So I started on the second one. I only managed to watch one. Um, 7-Eleven Ocean Drive, um, which is a film noir basically 
a guy kind of gets pulled into the underworld basically and then rises to the top typical story starring Edmund O'Brien who I knew as being really good in films with better performances if that makes okay. sense so he's always playing like really good character he's always playing he's always a really good actor but there's always someone better than better than him in the film gotcha like he's in the man who shot liberty valance with jimmy stewart and john wayne mm. just gets eclipsed he's in white heat with jimmy cagney yeah which for me is cagney's greatest performance um so i was excited to see him kind and of something where he was yeah his own leading man you know? yeah um and it was fine it was you know run of the mill it didn't set my world alight um there wasn't a really funny bit um towards the end where they're kind of running like the the main guy and his his mole are running away from the cops uh-huh. and she just gets too tired she's like oh, i can't do this anymore just go without me <laughs> and gets captured and i'm like i don't think i've ever seen someone just like give up give up in these films due to like fatigue Mm -hmm. so it was you know it was kind of that i think that's going to stick with me more than the actual film itself (laughs) um and then you know me brandon i fell into a deep dark hole and that deep dark hole is called hitchcock (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i that's this is the day that i watched six films in a day wow um i went and pretty much watched most of his kind of early, uh, more of his transition films, like his talky, his, you know, English talky films, and then yeah. a few of the early American films. Yeah, so, so most watched, of the the ones that are on your list here are before he comes to America, right? Yeah, so yeah. I watched Sabotage, The Man Who Knew Too Much, Stage Fright, Saboteur, Young and Innocent, The 39 Steps, and then North by Northwest. Okay. Over, that was over the course of like two days. But yeah. I did watch six films in a day. So most of those, well, yeah, I was. I guess most of those are kind of around the same time, and then North yeah. by Northwest is like way later. Yeah, North by Northwest was just. I just wanted peak to rewatch Hitchcock. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd gone through, you know, because normally I do go to Vertigo is my favorite film of all time, so I go to that Rear Window, Psycho, you know, yeah, the kind of big hitters. But I was like, I really want to go back and watch some of the. The earlier ones and Thirty Nine mm. Steps is my is so good. I don't think it's talked about enough as like a Hitchcock great. Yeah, you know the the set pieces are really good. The set design looks amazing. Um, I love it. It's well, Thirty Nine Steps is kind of like his um, like his one of his first big hits, right? Yeah, it's like the it's everything that Hitchcock became known for. Yeah. is in that film mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like that first foray into it's when like american producers started like paying attention to him yeah exactly and then trying to get um, him to come to america yeah um which he did because he made the film before that the man who knew too much he actually remade in the u.s mm-hmm. yeah. a few years later with jimmy stewart um which i hadn't seen the man who knew too much too like a lot i feel like i watched it when i was younger um it's got peter laurie in it who I absolutely love um, the the killer in M. Yeah. Um, so I rewatched that, and it just it, you know some of them are hit and miss. There's yeah, like the Young and Innocent from 1937 was really entertaining. Like they use miniatures, like a little miniature car when they're doing oh, like, cool. chase and stuff, and it was yeah. cool to watch. 
But then at the end, it climaxed with um, one of the characters being in blackface. And I was like, uh, you know, it's kind of, it just shows its age. You forget yeah. that these films are nearly 100 years old and mm-hmm. things have changed. But, you know, it is a bit of a, I was like, why isn't, you know, why aren't people talking about this more? This is fun. And then you get to the end, and you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I've ordered a new biography to read. I'm sure there'll be a lot more Hitchcock watching over the next few weeks. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm, cool, I'm in man. it. Yeah. Every year or so, he kind of sucks me in and I do a full rewatch. So. Yeah. At some Here point. Yeah. Again. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of his work I still need to watch, you know. Yeah. Especially his later films. I know they're a bit more, uh, they're not as popular mm-hmm. and not as critically acclaimed, especially like the ones he made in the 70s. Yeah. But I'm 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 curious as to see what those look like. You know what I mean? I think <laughs> the oldest, or the I guess most recent film of his that I've seen is maybe Marnie, <laughs> and then I don't think I've watched anything after that, which I think is only like three films or something. He made yeah. so many movies, man. It's crazy. He did. Yeah. I mean, Frenzy is really good. I think that's his last film. Okay. Frenzy is really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, he's Mar- he's one of those directors that like he was around for the entire yeah like evolution of cinema, you know, yeah, from the silent era up into the seventies when like the code was off the table and mm-hmm. people were just doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. He's um he's a master. Yeah. For a uh, reason. What have you been watching? So, um, I've watched several things i mean not quite as many but <laughs> i've watched four movies um i i rewatched fatal attraction from 1987 uh with yeah. glenn close and michael douglas i had seen it like 10 years ago maybe but i was uh wanting to rewatch it um and i had found it for like 50 cents at the thrift store <laughs> on yeah. dvd so i was like cool Bargain. um and uh and then it turned out it was like on hbo or something anyway <laughs> but i got a physical copy that's that um, physical media baby but uh yeah it was it's good i mean it's it's i gave it a three out of five um yeah. it uh it doesn't hold up all that well there's like like it's one of those movies that does show its age a little bit but i mean the performances are great like glenn close yeah. and michael douglas are really good in their roles um and you know it's still like a fun watch you know yeah. what i mean so um and then on sunday i guess it was me and sarah went to go see nope in the cinema um and i won't say too much about it like i didn't okay. put my rating on letterbox cuz i knew you would see it yeah <laughs> so uh you know we can talk about it after you see it but um definitely one of the best cinema experiences I've had in a long time. Like overall experience, like watching all the trailers, yeah, that whole everything, you know, the movie was great. Um, a lot of fun and yeah, everybody should go see Nope immediately in cinemas now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then speaking of comfort films, I watched Mean Girls from 2004 Five out of the five. First, the first film you ever bought from Kmart. Is that yeah, right? man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we talked about that on uh, 
the hands on a hard body episode where you can see right. the Kmart in the background that I bought my first movie at. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was. I haven't watched it in a while. Like it's, I don't know how long it's been. It seems like it's been a long time, but it's weird rewatching a movie that you've seen so many times after not seeing it so long because like you re, you you start watching it and you're like I my I immediately started thinking like. I have seen this movie so many times. Like yeah. just every single line like is just great. Comes back to you. Yeah, it all just comes back and um it's one of those movies too that I think uh influenced me more than I thought, you know what I mean? Or just like yeah. I mean for one thing it's about this homeschool girl that goes to public school and she's like a fish out of water, which is relatable to me, you know, like Yeah. I didn't go to school until I went to college. So, you know, kind of felt the same and stuff and, you know, just things like that. And then just, it's just hilarious. You know, it's one of, I don't know that decade of comedy films feels like, um, I don't know. It, it's its own time, you know, like it's not. Yeah, like a heyday. Yeah. Yeah, like a heyday. Yeah. It's, it's maybe something that film historians might talk about, you know, yeah. in, in another couple of decades as, as one of the high points of comedy films. Cause, um, there's so many movies that, I don't know, we just don't see like those comedy yeah. films anymore especially the rated r ones and this one's like pg-13 but like the rated r ones are even more rare now i think yeah i mean like. i think yeah because we have the emergence of judd apatow around that same time as well mm -hmm. yeah. so i mean 40 year old virgin super bad you know all yeah. the films he had his kind of fingers in worked really well and i felt for for a little bit for a few years we seem to be getting back to it i mean we had game night have you seen game night yeah, that was. Bateman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there was like blockers with John yeah, Cena. Yeah. And there was kind of like these bigger budget studio comedies, which mm -hmm. like were funny and kind of, you know, you could watch again. I and mean, I was like, okay, we're going, you know, there's promise here. And then I feel like we kind of got The Rock and Kevin Hart. Yeah. And it was like, okay, let's just put them two together. Yeah, and, and everything. Like, okay. Well, that's yeah, that's funny up until you know he's big, he's small. <laughs> yeah, you know, but there's no creativity anymore. There's not that mm -hmm. you know emerging talent, which is a shame. And then, I mean, also, I think with COVID and everything, it's like yeah, no one wants to take a risk. Yeah, nobody wants to take that risk exactly, and things are kind of going straight to streaming and getting lost yeah. and and all. I of think that with Booksmart, maybe not doing so well. It kind mm -hmm. of reined it in because that. I mean, it got really good reviews, but I don't think anyone saw it. Yeah, unfortunately. So yeah, mm. see what happens. But yeah, I mean, and then speaking of comedies from that era, I love you, Philip Morris from two thousand nine. Yeah. Uh, Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor as a gay couple, mm -hmm. and it's it's great. I I saw it. Um, I think when it came out. Um, I don't know. There's this era from like 2008 to like 2013 that I kind of saw everything because I was working at a movie theater. Yeah. Um, and I think this was one of those. And 
so I kind of remembered a few things, but rewatching it again, um, really enjoyed it. I gave it a four and a half out of five. Have you seen That's it? Awesome. I saw it a long time ago. I can remember watching it maybe on DVD at like the friend's house. He rented yeah. it. Um, and I can't remember much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, um, it's pretty great. It also is kind of like Texas based and based on a true story. Um, yeah. Which is great. But I don't know what it is about those true stories based in Texas. You're a sucker for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that that was it for me. And um, yeah, other than that, that's pretty much it. I haven't watched much TV. Well, I, I'm, I'm catching up with Better Call Saul, which is... Yeah. You got to watch it. It's good. I know. I'm watching Daredevil right now. So yeah. I finished season one yesterday. Nice. Two episodes into season two. Um, Are you like I hooked mean, now that you're in season yeah. two? Yeah. Yeah, I think season one was really good in terms of like setting up the relationship between him and Foggy mm-hmm. and like, I don't know, the balance between like being a lawyer and being a superhero, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then like introducing the Kingpin and like the underworld. Yeah. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio is amazing as the Kingpin. Yeah. So, <laughs> he's, he's great. And yeah. now we've got, you know, it's just like, heck yeah, we've got the Punisher. So yeah, exactly. It's you know, it's, it's exciting. It's like it is exciting because I didn't really. I knew that he was coming, but that first episode where, like, loads of people get wiped out, and then you see him kind of walking through the hospital, I was like, "Oh god, it's now!" Yeah, you're like, "Oh, it's this has so been exciting. him the whole time." Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you don't realize it at first. You think it's a villain or something, and then you're like, "Wait a minute!" I know. Yeah, you think it's like a whole army of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you realize that. Nope, just Frank Castle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love the way they do it, and um, yeah, spoilers if you haven't seen the show, but it's it's really good. Um, mm-hmm. I love that, like Vincent, like you said, Vincent D'Onofrio's portrayal of the Kingpin is like, I mean, I grew up watching the the '90s cartoon of Spider Man, yeah. so that's kind of how I always saw the Kingpin. But then seeing Vincent D'Onofrio do something totally different. That still worked. He's like basically mm-hmm. a big baby. Yeah. He that throws temper tantrums, like violent yeah. temper tantrums. Um, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I can't I mean, I'm glad that it's coming back. It was yeah. announced. So yeah, more Daredevil. So I'm gonna try and watch it all before that stuff comes out. Yeah, I really hope that uh Tom Holland and Vincent D'Onofrio get a scene together. Because I think oh, that man. they would be hilarious. This is what I mean. This is what we said on the Spider-Man podcast, right? It's just that, like, for our Spider, we want him to be street level, you know. And I think mm-hmm. that's what Kevin Feige kind of said. Yeah. So I'm hoping that all this will kind of tie in together, and maybe yeah. we'll get you know the Prowler storyline, and that's how yeah, we'll get exactly. you know a different Spider-Man introduced. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's there. It's ripe. So. Yeah. Come on, Marvel. You can do it. <laughs> yeah. Make us I proud. That I know that I've talked about Marvel kind of exhausting me a little bit, but Spider-Man is the one thing that I'm like, you yeah, could release seven always... a year and I'll yeah. be there opening night. So Yeah, exactly. Same here. <clears throat> yeah. Sucker for spiders. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so... <laughs> 
that was a um this is a kind of a harsh transition yeah. <laughs> into the movie Do you want me to set you up sure um newspapers <laughs> thanks speaking of newspapers here we go <laughs> the Seamless. daily bugle um, <laughs> that's it dang it the film that we're talking about today ladies and gentlemen is deadline usa from 1952 as we said starring humphrey bogart um the imdb summary is that with his (laughs) i've said this terribly um is that with his newspaper about to be sold crusading editor ed hutchinson tries to complete an expose on gangster rienzi um and if you still don't know what this movie is about sorry (laughs) (laughs) um i didn't really know what the movie is about after watching it the first time all respect to people who love this movie of course uh we're just kind of going to give our experience of watching the movie and um, talk about Humphrey Bogart a bit. Um, I know that Lewis is a big fan and, and knows a lot more about Bogey than I do. Um, and has watched a lot of old, like more older films, I think than I have. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, I watching this movie the first time I, just had a hard time following it. I think. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a pretty tight hour and a half movie, but it's very dense. There's a lot of stuff going on. So um, after, and by the way, like Lewis and I happened to actually watch it together. Um, I was in town, and so we were able to watch it. We just didn't have time to record together. But after watching it, I was like, I don't know how to make an episode out of this because I don't. Yeah really know what all just happened in the movie. Yeah. So I had to take some time to watch the commentary and then rewatch the movie again. And um, from the, from the sound of it and all the stuff I've read, everything that's, that's kind of going on in the movie, it's pretty accurate to accurate to the way that newspapers were run and, and that kind of work. Um, Anybody that's worked in a, newspaper can relate with this film pretty heavily and i think the the amount of like different plots that are going on throughout the movie and and the fact that it's a little bit hard to keep track of everything that's going on is kind of similar to a newspaper and like you know if you're a reporter or you're the head of a newspaper and you're trying to keep track of all these different stories and how they're going to fit into this paper that's what it kind of feels like to watch this movie um mm-hmm. yeah so what were what were your thoughts yeah i think um i think i with you it's kind of similar we start off in the newspaper seems so vivid and kind of real um <clears throat> that at first you're not quite sure it seems documentary esque you know it's like the people mm-hmm. running around sending these stories off um and i think the biggest the biggest downfall i it, it's got to be studio related i i can assume that they wrote this script for this kind of newspaper movie about trying to save a paper and trying to kind of keep honest and you know not be bought out or anything like that um but the studio were like oh you need to have a love interest for the main character and you need to have a character die in the printing press and you need to have this 
Right. And these things were just inserted <laughs> to yeah. kind of make it, I don't know, a little more, more dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot in this film that doesn't feel like it belongs in this film. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, it just ends. There yeah. doesn't seem to, there's not like a big, you know, it's Bogart gives a speech um, about integrity and newspapers. And then it's kind of like, hey, everything's fine. He's like, okay, cool. The end. Yeah. Um, nothing really seems to pay off the way it should. Um, and I just I just think it's just a bit, there's just too much, they're trying to do too much Yeah. as a whole. And that was my initial reaction to it. I was just like, I think there's too much going on here. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, the guy that did the, did, did the commentary kind of, you know, there was sev- uh, several times throughout the commentary that he, kind of talked about his first experience watching the movie his father worked at a newspaper and um like he vividly remembers like his father getting emotional in several scenes um and yeah i think it's you know for anybody that's worked at a paper this is like their movie you know because it's like uh you know bogart is the hero of the paper and he's he's fighting to keep it alive. He's fighting for um, just good, like good uh, reporting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's there's the scene, you know, after they find out that the paper is getting sold, um, and you can you can tell that everyone that works at the paper is like a family, right? And I'm sure that's mm-hmm. how it felt to work at a at a paper. So when they find out that that it's getting sold and they all go out for drinks, they're like putting on a funeral for the paper. They've got like the 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 copy of the newspaper laid out yeah. on a table with like candles around it, and they're like singing and drinking and reminiscing and talking about how their um their founder who has since passed you know would be rolling over in his grave, and then there's like a scene with um. Bogart where he is holding the competitor's newspaper and he has this whole spiel about how it's full of like puzzles and ads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so it's just like you know it it's kind of a a film a lot of films are kind of a, about this subject matter of like the changing of the times, you know we saw that a lot in the Westerns we watched of Sergio Leone where it's like the railroad is being built and, you know, progress and, you know, technology taking over and things like that. And, um, yeah. So it's like, I, I can definitely relate to how passionate people are for this movie in terms of, you know, people that, especially if you grew up reading the paper, if you grew up, you know, even, in the 70s or 80s or even 90s i guess like a lot of people even then had like paper routes and stuff like that like mm-hmm. communities were involved in local papers and stuff like that you know this is about a bigger paper but yeah. um you know it, it's like a a family and you know there's like loyalty involved and then and nostalgia you know and mm-hmm. us as like movie lovers and and history lovers and you know, I can see how uh, how certain people can become so attached to this film. Yeah, because because like I said, Bogart is like the he's like the champion of the film. He's like 
he won't give up no matter what throughout mm-hmm. the film he's he's trying to fight for the newspaper and even though it, at every turn it looks like the paper is going to get sold he's still trying to put out the best stories you know and yeah. re- report the news for the next day like every it, his personal life is interwoven in the film a bit and Every second, somebody's like, the phone is for you. The phone is for you. The phone is for you. And he's having to go back and forth and, and try to follow the stories and direct, you know, what's going on. Um, I probably am making the film sound better than it is. <laughs> <laughs> but but like I said, a lot of people love this film. And, and, yeah. uh, and I did enjoy it more the second time watching it. I kind of enjoyed Bogart's character a little more. Um mm-hmm. The personal stuff, like you were talking about, it it does feel a little bit just thrown in there, but it's kind of convenient, I guess, is is the kind of the problem with it. it because his his wife, his ex wife, is going to get married to this other man. He's still in love with her, and she's like getting remarried on the night that like the court case is happening where they're trying to sell the paper um so uh yeah it is it it is a little tacked on but it's like um i don't know it gives it gives bogart a little more uh depth i guess i mean whether you like it or not it's kind of uh like he's he knows that the paper is going to die and so he's like going back to his his wife who it's kind of stated in the movie that it didn't work out between them because he was so good at his job, you know, so obsessed with his job and yeah. such a good newspaper man that he didn't have time for like a home life. So now that the paper's going under, he can like give time to his wife. Mm-hmm. Um But it it is it is a weird it is a bit of a weird storyline. No, I agree. I think, yeah, I, I, all it's missing really is just one of the like other characters to say to Bogart, "Wow, you've got more than one deadline tonight." Wink, wink, nudge, <laughs> nudge. Yeah, you know, because yeah. it's kind of you know everything is culminating within twenty four hours. Everything's kind of coming to a head all of a sudden, um, which is a bit. Um, Heavy-handed, a little bit ham-fisted, but I mean, I don't know how else to kind of to make this entertaining. Do you know what I mean? Like all the ingredients are there, um, but it's just I don't feel like there's enough meat to it. Yeah, it's very well, bony. And we talked a lot about in the last uh, two weeks ago when we talked about facing the crowd, how facing the crowd works so well because it's still precedent. It's still something that you know is happening today and it's relatable and it was made 60 70 years ago right and this is the same it's still relatable but it just doesn't have the same punch it just doesn't you know it it just doesn't i don't know hit in the same way even though the world that it builds is so believable yeah the kind of bite in you know the bite the the bite isn't there yeah, I think if it was like if the the whole Rienzi storyline, who is like a gangster in the film, and mm. he's like influencing elections, 
And it's like the story that Bogart is trying to go after the whole time to expose uh, that he's like a murderer and all this stuff. I think if it was more of... I don't know. I, I was going to say if it was more... Because to me, the the kind of gangsterism that's going on today is like the billionaires that mm. are out there influencing elections. Yeah. And but they're like doing things legally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I mean, they're yeah. His the big climax could have been he was the one that was trying to buy the paper, and he's right. like, "I'm going to run this place into the ground." Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean that that would have he was trying to kind of hush up a story, try and pay Bogart off and then it's like i can just buy the paper yeah you know, yeah but then it's it weird because the... I, f- I feel like the thing that that is not working in the movie especially watching it for the first time which like you should always watch a film more than once but um unless you really hate it but if you want to understand a film you've got to watch it more than once right yeah yeah but there's just so much like i like watching it the second time i had to kind of just keep track of everything that was that was going on i mean even the the um the guy doing the commentary he's like at the end of act 1 there's four parallel storylines going on there's the menace of rienzi the mystery of the fur clad nude the sale of the newspaper and uh humphrey bogart's relationship problems yeah which um the rienzi and the dead woman like end up becoming the same story by the end mm-hmm. of it but yeah there the you know it's just so much going on especially when he's walking through that newspaper you know there's the woman reporter which shout out to like female representation in the workplace in this you know older movie mm-hmm. which was one of the positives um yeah. you know she's like there's just like you're seeing people talking about all the different storylines scene after scene and sometimes within the same scene so it's it's a lot to keep track of in your head and i i feel like it's a negative but i can also see how someone who has worked in a mo- in a newspaper for years would love seeing that yeah you know what i mean because it's realistic, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's it, it does have that kind of kinetic, like energy of, um, of reality. It's kind of everything's happening, everything's going on all the time, um, which does add to it. And I, you know, it does. Like I said, it does feel like a believable newspaper. Yeah. Um, but I was just, I don't know what I was expecting from it. I think. Given that Eddie Muller does the commentary and he's massive, you know, he's huge in the world of film noir and he even starts his commentary by saying, this isn't a noir film. And yeah. the poster is kind of Bogart up against the wall with two like henchmen. And I don't, I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting more of like, a, you know, race against time. I don't know. Which yeah, trying to was. make the deadline. Yeah. yeah, which it kind of was, but I don't feel like it was as... I don't know. You didn't feel the tension. Yeah. 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 Cuz I think that that is because there's too many there's too much stuff going on. Yeah. You know, we could have definitely lost the relationship problems. 
someone could yeah. have just hinted at like you're working yourself into the ground you've already had one marriage breakup because of it and i would have been like okay that gives me enough backstory to carry on yeah you know yeah if it so. was more of a straightforward kind of detective story it might might have been a little more universal yeah yeah um yeah I, I keep talking about how to make this film better which i feel is kind of a, a pratfall i don't really want to get into that with every film we talk about because yeah you know i'm not a filmmaker but um yeah i mean that the, there are things in it that i really liked i think bogart is magnetic you know i'm not obviously not the first person to say this <laughs> so <laughs> um but he's he's amazing i think he's i just love watching him on screen um yeah. i did really like um parts of the dialogue i thought that some scenes were really well done yeah you know, with the kind of back and forth and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it it seemed a bit, and I know that he says this on the commentary, but it seems a bit preachy. There's, you know, Bogart's mm-hmm. giving these huge speeches where he talks about integrity and, and, you know, giving people what they deserve kind of thing and, you know, reporting the news as it should be. It's kind of like, okay. Yeah, there. this is definitely one of those movies where I was like, any you could pick any line in this movie for the opening quote of our show. Like there's so yeah. many quotable things in the movie. Um, you know, which in real life it's not dialogue is never actually like that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, cuz it but again, it's like okay, I I can see why people who've worked in a newspaper love this film so much cuz he's he's just constantly championing championing you know, what they had dedicated their lives to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like in, in terms of Bogart and his performance and stuff, um, I, I don't think I've seen a ton of his movies. He's mm. one of those actors that I've always been a little bit, uh, confused by, I guess is a good way okay. to put it. I, I, Yeah, his always like is kind of very weird. Yeah, because there's a whole period where you can tell that the studio Warner Brothers just didn't know what to do with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he's he's just one of those people where it took me a while to figure out what it is like. What is it that people saw in him that you know made him a star? You know, made him yeah, uh, yeah, a leading man and all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't I, until I think I saw Casablanca that I was like. Oh, okay, this is, yeah, this is why he's great, you know. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this, he's he's very. I mean, he's very much the same, and I I can't even think of like other other films besides Casablanca and this that I've seen him in. I'm sure I I have, but he's not yeah. like somebody I gravitate towards, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um. So, in your mind, what is it? What is it that? people gravitate towards like yeah i mean bogart to me is a warm hug he is he's one of the first when i first started getting into movies like hitchcock was obviously the first thing that kind of really wowed me mm-hmm. and i can remember i was looking at these people to kind of like to look at and bogart was one of the one of the actors that i gravitated towards first okay so he's very comforting to me as an actor i love watching his movies it just reminds me of like discovering cinema yeah um and his career is so weird i mean it starts off 
and he's kind of like the heavy. So he's in a lot, like a few James Cagney films where Cagney is like the quote unquote hero of the story or uh-huh. the one we're rooting for. And Bogart is the, is the other guy who's kind of like worse than Cagney in terms of like, you know, killing people and kind of being the antagonist. Um, and then he got, you know, Maltese Falcon, he kind of plays the detective. Um, I know I've seen that. Yeah, it's a little bit, I mean, he does have a, like a love interest in it, but he's a bit, I don't know, he's a bit of a eunuch. He's not, you know, a sex symbol. He's a private detective. Yeah. And then Casablanca comes along, changes that as well. Like he's now, you know, movie star, leading man, heartthrob. Mm. Humphrey Bogart but at that age he's like 48 yeah <laughs> you know maybe a little bit younger than that so but then his career takes a really interesting turn because he does African Queen with Catherine Hepburn um which is I mean African Queen I think is very underrated as two aging stars playing their own age in like a really great film yeah I know a lot of people talk about it so it's not really underrated but it's so refreshing to see like Catherine Hepburn play, you know, an older woman against an older leading man. Um, and it's like yeah. a romance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, African Queen's, Queen's great. And then his l- second half of his career is kind of he's caught in limbo between what we see in this, which is like a smooth talking, very cool, like man of action and like. Uh, kind of leading man i guess it's yeah. weird it's his careers are kind of all over the place yeah. um as like the audience reactions change um but i mean his to me he's just he's the epitome of cool mm. you know if i could look as good as bogart i'd do it i don't yeah. know what it, i don't know what it is because he's not classically handsome right in in any way kind of thing he's just he's just the voice and the kind of competent it's all of it yeah it's all of it yeah. Um, and after I watched this, I've actually, you know, gone back and watched a few other of his films. Um, I mean, I watched Casablanca again because Casablanca is so good. And then um, I watched The Big Sleep, which I thought I'd seen, but I'd, I hadn't. And he's just, I mean, he's like tough talking, but he's also funny and like he's attractive to the feet. It's just a great mix. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Bogart to unpack. Yeah. I feel like that was all over the place. <laughs> but <laughs> No, I mean it makes sense. I mean, uh, you know, maybe I just need to watch more of his his films mm-hmm. and you know, out of the ones that you kind of listed, I know I've seen Maltese Falcon, which like you said is more of a classic film noir detective story. Yeah. Um with a simple plot, right? He's just like Yeah. You know, trying to find this thing. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, he is great in this film, yeah. uh, but there are a couple of things that just kind of are weird. And I think it's mainly just the relationship with his ex-wife. Like he tries to yeah sleep with her, even though she's with someone else. And then, you know, he's kind of harassing her throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And then he's like in the restaurant scene where he's like, the waiter's like, would you like any appetizers? And he's like, I've got mine right here. And then yeah. the guy comes in and he's like, 
there's a phone call for you. And he's like, I'm feeding. <laughs> and then when he finally goes to take the phone call, he tells the waiter to call her Mrs. Hutchinson, yeah. which she's not married to him anymore. Which yeah. is like, it's all just kind of dick move after dick move that don't really help. At the um, time, it could have probably seemed romantic. But now, you know. Yeah, it's like. It's just, it's kind of borderline gaslighting. Yeah. Um, and then he is, like brings in this creepy doll with, out of yeah. nowhere. And it's like, what's going on with this scene? And then he just, yeah. and then all of a sudden the doll's gone. And okay. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> I think going back, I think the good thing about Bogart though is that you could pick any of his top 10 movies and he's a different character in it, all of them. Yeah. Um, which I don't know how many other people you can say that about. Yeah, especially that um, time. Yeah. In typecasts yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and by different to... character, you just mean like, I don't know. Like... Yeah, not like typecast, you know, because we've yeah. got Casablanca, romantic lead. You've got Maltese Falcon where he's like, you know, the noir detective. Um, and then you've got like Treasure of Sierra Madre where he's like a, a gold digger. That slowly is losing his mind. Um, Angels with dirty faces is a gangster. You know all these kind of different. I don't know performances. Yeah, that just really, really work. So you're selling you me on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot there to love. You know, there's a lot of terrible <laughs> films yeah. in there. You know, on the probably on the upcoming and the come down. Um, but yeah, he's. I don't know. They don't make stars like that anymore. He seem he's one of those to me that's just larger than life. You know, I can't believe that he existed. Yeah. I I can't put it into words. Yeah. So that's what sold it on. I mean, this was a Bogart film that I hadn't seen. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I knew about it. You know, I'd seen the the poster for it. I knew it was kind of in the later part of his career because um, it's the film after he won the Oscar. Well, he hadn't won it when he filmed it, but he was he just made the African Queen. Okay. So this was the film after African Queen where he got like a lot of uh plaudits and people were celebrating his performance. So I always like to see what they follow up with after those big yeah. performances. You know, and this just seems a bit paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, he's I don't know. So it's a weird one. Yeah. Um, what about any of the other actors in the the film, Ethel Barrymore or Kim Hunter? Yeah, I mean, so Kim Hunter, um, another relation or tedious link, I guess, to um, Facing the Crowd, um, won the same year as Bogart for Streetcar Named Desire, mm-hmm. um, directed by Kazan. So she was also on the way up. You know, two... Yeah. If you think about it today, if we had a film that was coming out with two stars that had just won Oscars, it would have been huge. You know, the the kind of pol- the campaign to get that scene. Whereas with this, it's not ever really talked about. You know, right? Yeah. It just, and I think that's because of the studio system. Yeah. They just crank these out all the time. It doesn't. It just means that people are going to go and see it. It's not about art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more about ticket sales. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ethel Barrymore, I've seen her in, you know, numerous things. I know the name. Um, the she Barrymore plays the kind of, dynasty. Yeah. She plays the old curmudgeon, curmudgeonly woman, if it's curmudgeonly, um, in quite a lot. 
no, she is that kind of person. So yeah. Um, and then I think apart from that, there wasn't many people in it that I recognized apart from one person that <laughs> after we watched it, I had to uh-huh. rewind for us to see it. Um, <laughs> a little bright faced Jimmy Dean. Yeah. Has a tiny it? little yeah. non-speaking cameo. He's just like yeah, around the, the corner. It's and, the kind uh, of thing where I knew he was going to be in it and I saw it and I was like, mm, I don't think that's him. And then I kind yeah. of continued watching. And then at the end, I was like, okay, let's go back because I think it could have been, but I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. And it's just like smiling at Humphrey Bogart working in the printing press. Yeah, it's interesting. Like when I, watching the movie the second time, uh, I paused it and showed yeah. Sarah, I was like, look, it's James Dean. And, um, but when I, I didn't really say it at first, I just showed her the freeze frame and the thing that <laughs> caught her eye was she was like, I've never seen Humphrey Bogart smile like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's like got a big <laughs> smile on his face Yeah, and it is, it is kind of, you don't really think about it, but it is strange. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That James you need to watch Dean. African Queen. He's crying yeah. the whole way through it. Well, cool. Yeah, I will. I've got it on VHS. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> but I might find it somewhere else because I think it's like still in the plastic wrap, so I don't really want to open it. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, keep it keep it preserved. <laughs> yeah. Um But yeah, I mean, as far as like essential newspaper films, mm-hmm. uh, besides this one, like what else what else is there out there? I know there's Ace in the Hole directed by yeah. Billy Wilder, which I haven't seen, but I'm sure you've seen that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is that an essential newspaper film? I mean, I'd say so. It's not my favorite Wilder film, um, but I know people love it. Yeah. And maybe it's just maybe it just needs me to go back and watch it again. Mm-hmm. You know. Um but the other the only other film that kind of sprang to mind, I mean, there's a lot of characters that are like newspaper reporters in yeah. especially film noir, because they're just trying to sniff out a story. You know, they'll just keep digging. Um, but the only other film that I thought about that's kind of set around a newspaper is His Girl Friday. Mm. Um, Howard Hawks directed by with uh, Cary Grant. Um, one of the early kind of fast-talking um, screwball comedies. Yeah. Um, which is really good. I've only seen it the once. Um, and it is like the dialogue just like flies. You can't really keep track of it. Um, but that's another one that I kind of just came to mind when I thought newspaper film. Yeah. You know. Would you um, call uh Citizen Kane the newspaper film? I guess. I mean, yeah, it's about a kind of newspaper tycoon's rise to the top, right? So Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, the only thing that would set that apart is it's just more character driven. Yeah. Whereas the other ones like the newspaper is a huge part of the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess in Kane it is a huge part of the story. And you get, you know, we can get mixed up in semantics all the time so. yeah but yeah i didn't think about kane that's a good that's a good shout and the show you're watching right now daredevil yeah there's a lot I of mean, newspaper stuff in it yeah maybe that's you know why this didn't work on so many levels because daredevil did it really well <laughs> did it <laughs> which sounds really weird saying because i was watching them you know simultaneously yeah it's kind of maybe what i was expecting was what daredevil would was delivering yeah that makes sense. Um, yeah, one of the one of the surprising things to me 
or just kind of mind boggling, I guess, uh, in the watching the second time was when uh, Humphrey Bogart's character mentions that the paper has 1500 employees. (laughs) And I'm like, gosh, like, can you imagine? I don't think it's got that many readers because I'm sure they talk about how they're like not even a top seller. Uh You know, there's three or four newspapers in New York that are selling more. Um, which again is another avenue it could have gone down in terms of like, is integrity worth it? Right. Yeah. You know, is it is it worth keeping this newspaper open if they're losing sales or trying to report the truth? Yeah. You know, which again is another strand that I thought we were going to go down and then sadly got overlooked for I don't know a, a doll at a table. Yeah. Which, if you haven't seen the film, isn't going to make much sense. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that scene was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> they just need more puzzles in the paper. It'll be fine. That's that. Yeah. Some, you know, how to make friends and some recipes for pies. <laughs> so, um <laughs> just a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. Apparently, Humphrey Bogart was kind of testy on the set. Yeah. Um which wasn't usually his way of being on set. Mm-hmm. He was usually more friendly. Um, he was someone who uh, took pride in memorizing his lines, but he he didn't memorize a lot of them on this film. Yeah, and his assistant had to read his lines to him a lot of times, and if she put any kind of like inflection or anything like that, he would like yell at her and mm-hmm. be like. How dare you? You yeah. must read this in just like the a flat monotone and like how dare you suggest the way that I should say this. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I read in his biography that when the film wrapped, um he turned to her and said, Thank God I don't have to hear your voice ever again. Jeez. And, and she said, Same. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, um, the book that I kind of like flicked through to this bit did suggest that he was kind of getting the news or like kind of anticipating the news that he had cancer at this point. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he, that was kind of playing on his mind. They said that there's a point where they were kind of getting ready to shoot and Ethel Barrymore was like coughing quite a lot and he kind of turned to her and kind of yelled like, you need to go and get that checked out. Oh, Wow. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot kind of preying on his mind. But also, he was uh, apparently in between takes, he was on the phone finding out how African Queen was doing. Mm, yeah. You know, trying to kind of, that was where his energy was. This was just, he was just making was a picture some, to kill time. Yeah. Yeah. Making some money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a scene where he, he didn't learn his lines and he admitted to the director that he had been drinking late into the morning. Mm. And God, I can't imagine like drinking late into the morning and then showing up for work. Trying to, yeah. Trying to, trying to scene. act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what Bogart's famous for though. Heavy smoking, heavy drinking. Yeah. I'm sure I read somewhere it was 60 a day cigarettes. Oh my God. Yeah, that could be a, that that could be a huge exaggeration, but I'm sure it stuck with me. I'm sure it was sixty a day. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know how many cigarettes are in a pack. 
I mean, I guess it might have been different I mean, back then. Yeah, back then, like maybe, I mean, 20, I guess. So yeah. three packs a day. Yeah. God, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. Don't um, smoke. No, definitely not. So he obviously smoking, drinking a lot, you know, it's yeah. just. Takes a toll. Yeah. yeah. Um. Apparently he, in order to get the feel for what it was really like to work in a newspaper, he hung out at the city room of the New York Daily News. I feel like cool. that's the Bogart that we that we should know is that kind of professional of like, I want to get this as authentic as possible. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that for Casablanca, he went and hid out in a bar in Casablanca and yeah, you know. <laughs> learned how to make <laughs> well, some <then>. drinks. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. But I mean, it's just that extra step that you don't see many people take. Yeah. You know, so, um, another thing that Ed Muller mentioned in the commentary was that, um, that I that I thought was really cool was that a lot of screenwriters come from newspapers or yeah. came from newspapers back then. Um and the way that they're like laying out the timeline of like the newspaper for the next day and stuff is uh something that screenwriters still do today. And that oh, wow. comes awesome. from from the working in newspapers. Oh that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot like I said, there's a lot of authenticity in this film. It feels real. Um, but there's not that balance, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I did want to talk about Richard Brooks because he was a name that I didn't know, mm-hmm. and then when I kind of went on his like page just to see what else he'd done, he's directed some really great films. Yeah. Um, which I wasn't aware of. I mean, In Cold Blood. Mm-hmm. Um, based on my favorite book, we've talked about this in the past. Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. Um. I've watched the film. It's really good. You know, to say I love the book so much, the film is a really faithful adaption. Um, Cat, on a hunt, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Elizabeth uh-huh. Taylor, Paul Newman, like a really well-known kind of classic for Elizabeth Taylor. Um, the Professionals as well. I mean, there's there's a lot that he made. Contributed. Um, and Yeah, a lot of these films. I mean, Blackboard, uh, Black, yeah, Blackboard Jungle. Um, with Sidney Poitier, you know, some, I don't know, some really important films. Yeah. Um, but he's not a director that I would be like, oh, Richard Brooks, he did this, this, and this. You yeah, know? exactly, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah it might be strange. someone that uh going to have to remember. Yeah, for sure. I mean, In Cold Blood is a film that I want to choose in the in the future. Yeah, um, sweet. Because I think it's a really interesting film. Yeah. Well, I so. will look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot that's just on my list for yeah. to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Every time you say, oh, I haven't seen it, I'm like, add it to the list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So all um, of Bogart's filmography has been added today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and Richard Brooks. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, there's not a whole lot more that I I have to to say about this movie. I think if um if I did want to rewatch it, I'm you know I might choose it if there's someone over at the house that used to work in a newspaper or something like that that hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, I would I would want to watch it with someone with 
some kind of connection like that or experience just to see, just to kind of watch the movie through them, you know, and yeah. kind of to see how they experience it, see if they're, you know, crying at the end and when the the paper gets yeah. sold and, you know, that, that was the thing, man. It's like the, as far as like all those plots that they introduce, it it's kind of a weird way that they all end. It's like the paper gets sold anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, Rienzi gets exposed, I guess, but it's like he's exposed the end. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and no then the wife, politics. you know, we find out that she's going to take him back. But the way that we find out is while he's on the phone with Rienzi, she takes off her hat. And yeah. that's how we know. Cause she yeah. like flicks her hat off and she's, <laughs> there's no I'm dialogue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> Um, but you know, I mean, at least for that character, he, you know, he got one thing that he wanted, like, you know, and hopefully he'll, he'll, uh, give his wife the attention that she deserves now, I guess, because he can't love the paper anymore. I think that's, and that's the frustrating frustration is that like you summing up there, I'm like, wow, that sounds really profound. Like, it sounds like a really, you know. Like maybe I am part of this old group, and this like newspaper business is kind of not for me anymore. So I'm like I found what I really love, which is my wife, and instead it's just like, hey, we got him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, where is this emotional payoff? Let's do this. Like you know, yeah. all it would have taken was to not have Bogart do that um, courtroom scene, and in the end, just be like, I thought I knew what I loved, but you know. Maybe I'm a relic, and you're the thing that I want to be with. Yeah, or just yeah, not have his not have his wife right there, where he can't speak to her, and he's just on the phone. Like have him have have him make the phone call and think that his wife is already married to the guy, and mm-hmm. he's just lost both things that he loves. But then after yeah. he like hangs up that phone, and he's like, "Well, I got Rienzi. We're printing yeah. the last paper. Won't have a job or a wife tomorrow." And then his yeah. wife comes around the corner and she's like, you know, in a wedding dress. And she's like, I didn't do it. Yeah. I want you back. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, just takes off the hat. <laughs> <laughs> just short of like ripping her dress off. <laughs> this oh, head goodness. is yours, babe. <laughs> Head only, yeah. and I think I think that's where my problems lie. Like I said, it's just that the I think the film sets up quite a lot and then doesn't deliver on any of it really. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of to say that when it ended, I think I audibly was like, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I was expecting yeah. at least one more scene. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. tie it up, and instead, it's just like, oh, it's over now. Yeah. Um, um, one more thing that I forgot to mention is the the mother of the the woman who dies in the film that they're like trying to figure out, and then they find yeah. out Rienzi murdered her. Oh, she's like yeah. an immigrant. Um, mm-hmm. Ed Muller mentioned that uh, Richard Brooks's that 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 was basically Richard Brooks's mother, not not real mother in the scene or whatever, but it was it was um very personal for him because his mother was an an immigrant and learned to read from newspapers and stuff. 
and yeah. and learn to speak English from newspapers and stuff. So, which she, you know, the character in the film mentions that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that was. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that's that's fair enough. I just, as I said before, I the preachiness of it just didn't. It just left me cold. It's kind of like, here's yeah. another character saying why integrity and. You know, which it is. It is a good thing. But when every character's, you know, hitting you over the head, telling you that, you know, freedom of press is a wonderful thing. So I'm like, okay, I get it. I know. You yeah. Know, yeah. He is the good guy. This is the paper. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Well, let's try to guess what okay. each of us rated this film on Letterboxd. Okay. So uh, let, me, let me guess first, because every time you okay. guess first, I know to go lower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when you guess me, I'm like, you definitely went lower. <laughs> now I know that it's going to be higher. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be the same. We I don't know. We've been the Who same knows? the last few weeks or several weeks. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, somebody might be keeping track out there. Um, I'm going to say you rated it three. Okay. I don't know if you've thrown me off. I'm going to say you've rated it. I mean, I know you said that it got better on the second watch. So maybe three and a half. All right. I was three. <laughs> okay, I was two and a half. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. I didn't know if you were trying to throw me off by being like, sometimes we're the same. So that'd be like three and you'd be like, nope, three and a half. <laughs> 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 yeah um yeah i mean for all the reasons that we've talked about i think bogart's really good i think there's like there's hints of a really interesting film in here it just doesn't quite stick land the for you yeah yeah um but like i said i've only watched it once and then once again with the commentary on so maybe you know if i watched it again it would work and i'm getting ready to watch more bogart films so maybe it'll slip in again before yeah. the end of the year so yeah who knows yeah and did I it mean, change for you i mean were you lower when you first watched it and then it changed i think so i mean maybe like two and a half to three but it mm -hmm. wasn't much you know I, it's like i get i understand the film now i get why people appreciate it but yeah. i'm not i don't have that like emotional investment that other people yeah. that love this film do you know what i yeah. mean um so yeah i mean it's like like i said i get it because of you know being in love with cinema and not wanting like theaters to go away and things like that you know like <laughs> i, I yeah. worked in i've worked in movie theaters for a long time and um yeah i, I don't ever want to see that kind of die yeah and and everything's going to streaming and stuff like that so that's kind of like where i relate to it but yeah that's but it. yeah that was uh deadline usa folks so yeah. what are we watching next week lewis so next week we are watching a film from just two years after deadline usa okay um but it's not an american film um, all right it's it's a film i feel like is it's got a specific place in film history and i've never seen it um it is Godzilla from oh, 1954. Really? Yeah, the original. Nice. 
Um, I don't know why. I just it's one of those films that I'm like, I need I need to watch this at some point. Yeah. Um, and I was like, why not? I mean, there's a few other films that was bouncing around, but I was like, let's do it. Let's watch Godzilla. I don't think it's overly long. I don't think it's you know. I mean, it's Godzilla. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It looks like it's a, an hour and a half, and um, nice. also on Criterion. Yeah, um, I don't own it because it's in that big box set. Um, but yeah, man, I'm Takayashi yeah. Shimura. Yeah, from uh, Seven Samurai is in it. I'm sorry. If oh, I is he really? His name? Yeah. Oh, he, he, is. he plays like the the old wise uh, yeah. samurai. Yeah. He is going to be my top watched actor this year on Letterboxd. I just know it. Because <laughs> every yeah. Kurosawa film I watch, he's in. Yeah. So nice. now that I'm watching Godzilla and Mifune isn't in it, he's going to pip him to the post. So. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Beat him by one. Yeah. But Godzilla, yeah, next week. Yeah. Looking forward to it. That's going to be fun. Changing Sweet. it up. Get some action in here. Yeah. A little bit of a... <laughs> monster blockbuster you know we yeah. see them a lot so i'll be interested to see the similarities between that and what we have today yeah for sure if there's any uh homage then that's right well i think that's it folks um of course you can find us on all the social medias please give us a follow if you haven't already um at film church radio on instagram twitter facebook youtube subscribe uh, you can also find Lewis and I on Letterboxd individually. I am at Selmascope and he is at Walker Lewis 3007. Uh, there you can keep up with what we've been watching every single day and what we rate things and what's on our top lists and uh, what's on our watch lists and what, you know, let us know what we should add to those lists. Um, we also have all of our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms. Uh, please spread the love. Um, and come and join the film church so you too can be on the path of cinematic enlightenment. Um, but, Lewis, what is that racket? That's the press, baby. The press. And there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> well, alrighty then. <laughs> I'll leave you to it. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, don't forget to say your film church prayers, and we'll see you next Sunday. Sounds good. Amen. Amen. Bye. Peace.